verses 1 through 10. And from another angle, we'll consider the question as to why Christ came. And this morning we'll see that He came to seek and to save the lost. Luke 19, 1-10 Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was of small stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, as we consider the condescension of Your Son, that time when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, we ask for Your Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds to the truths of His coming that are profound and unfortunately frequently hidden from our eyes. We know that there are wonderful things in Your law and in Your Gospel, so we ask You to open our eyes to behold them. May the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ shine before us like the noonday sun, glory as of the only Son from You, the Father, full of grace and truth. In His name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This morning I want to begin by asking you what would be a a good question in a Bible trivia game. Uh, But let me clarify right away that I do not think this is a trivial question. Um, I think this is a very important question. And this is the question right here. And uh, this is what I want you to do. Grab a pen. Go ahead, grab a pen. You You can participate. This is full participation. Grab a pen. It's just one question. Multiple choice, and I want you to write the answer um, on the back of your bulletin, okay? Here's the question. What was Jesus' favorite self-designation? In other words, how did Jesus describe Himself the most? Multiple choice. A, Son of David. B, Son of Man. C, Son of God or D, Son of Mary? Okay, did you get that? Okay. Alright, how many of you think you know what the answer is? One, two... Oh, okay, a few of you. I, I had you write it down because I wanted you to be real encouraged. I wanted you to say, I got the answer right. And you can leave encouraged. The answer overwhelmingly is B, Son of Man. So if you got that right, go home and rejoice. If you missed it, say to your 
your partner or the person next to you say, that's what I was going to write down. Son of man. Yeah, it's right on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> Son of man. Um, now, as we look at our text this morning, we don't have to guess what it's all about because right at the end, Jesus summarized what this passage is all about. And actually, it summarizes not only the passage, but the entire Gospel of Luke when he says in verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And our three simple points this morning are the Son of Man came because man is lost. The Son of Man came to seek the lost. And number three, the Son of Man came to save the lost. Now, before we consider those three points, I want you to notice that we're told specifically that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And if you've been with us for any time, you know that we love to define our terms. And last week, we went over the term Christ once again. And I reminded you that it means anointed one. And it can refer to a prophet, a priest, but usually it refers to a king. So this morning, I want us to consider this title, Son of Man, because Jesus uses it to describe Himself more than any other title. So what does He mean, Son of Man? I think the average evangelical thinks, well, it's the flip side to Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God and He's the Son of Man. They, they complement one another. In other words, He is a God-man. But you need to realize that Son of Man is a title, which is perhaps why Son and Man are in capital letters. This is a title. And this title is used only one place in the Old Testament to describe the Messiah. And every time Jesus refers to Himself as the Son of Man, this is what He has in mind. And that designation is found in Daniel 7, 13 and 14. So if you'll turn there. Say it, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, if that helps. Those big prophets. Again, this is very important. When Jesus describes Himself as the Son of Man, He's talking about this passage in Daniel 7. And before we look at 13 and 14, uh, let me just read verse 12. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Okay, a little bit of quick context. We won't go into it in detail. Uh, but Daniel had a vision of four beasts. These four beasts represent four empires. The Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, and then the Greece Empire, and then the Roman Empire. And then after those four empires, a ruler is coming who will establish another kingdom and that kingdom will last forever and ever. And according to this passage in Daniel, this kingdom is going to be established by the Son of Man. And this is what we read in verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. There's a designation. And He came to the Ancient of Days. This might be another good term to describe who is the Ancient of Days. God the Father. So the Son of Man is coming to the Ancient of Days on the clouds 
which means He is coming up. This is the ascension of Christ. The Son of Man is coming up to the Ancient of Days. God the Father. And He is presented before Him. And verse 14 says, And to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So it ties into last week's message where we said that Christ came to establish His kingdom. And here we see that the Son of Man ascends so that He can receive the kingdom. And that kingdom will go on forever and ever. So if I can give you an expanded interpretation of Luke 19.10, it says the Son of Man who Daniel prophesied about, the one who was sent to the Ancient of Days, and receive a kingdom that's going to last forever. This Son of Man, whose dominion will be from sea to sea, this Son of Man has now come from heaven to earth so that He can not only seek the lost, but to save them because they need to be saved because they're lost. That's what this passage is all about and that's what's implied in that huge term, Son of Man. Now, why did the Son of Man come? Again, we have three simple points. Number one, because man is lost. Man is lost. And specifically, that's a metaphor for being estranged from God. And we can go back to the very beginning and we're reminded that sin is what separates people from God. And going back to Genesis 3, see Adam and Eve sinning in the garden. Because of their sin, their their eyes are open. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and tried to cover themselves. And then verse 8 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Think about this. God is coming into the garden. Why is He coming into the garden? Because He loves Adam and Eve. And He wants to commune with them. He wants to fellowship with them. And what do Adam and Eve do? This is great. Our Creator is coming. Our Father is coming. The One who has blessed us with all these blessings that we observe. He is coming to commune with us. This is great. Let us run out and meet Him. Is that what they do? not what they do. They run and they hide in the opposite direction. That's what lostness is. Running from God. That's what sin does. And by the way, if God never came after Adam and Eve, you know what? They would still have remained lost. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Now, in our passage in Luke 19, uh, if anybody epitomized the lost, it was a wealthy tax collector like Zacchaeus. That's what verse 2 says. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. Uh, this is the only reference in the Bible to a chief tax collector. So we can only guess that most likely uh, he was over other tax collectors which means he was the head honcho, which means if you hated the tax collectors, who did you hate the most? 
the chief tax collector. That's right. And because of that, it could be that Zacchaeus was the most hated and despised man in all of Jericho. And you might be thinking, is that an exaggeration? Probably not. This is what one commentator said. Tax collectors like Zacchaeus, who was a Jew, worked for Herod Antipas and Rome, so they were considered traitors. The Mishnah and Talmud, these are Jewish works that were written later, register scathing judgments of tax collectors, lumping them together with thieves and murderers. A Jew who collected taxes was disqualified as a judge or witness in court, expelled from the synagogue, and a cause of disgrace to his family. The touch of a tax collector rendered a house unclean. And in Matthew 18, when Jesus talks about how it's necessary to do church discipline and you get to the end when a person won't repent, He says if that person remains stubborn, they will not repent. Treat them like what? Tax collector. And in Luke 18, the previous chapter, Jesus tells the famous parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Remember, they both go up to pray? Pharisee and the tax collector. It's not an accident that Jesus chose a Pharisee. And it's not an accident that He chose a tax collector. Why did He choose a tax collector? He's telling a story. He could have chosen any sinner that He wanted. He could have chosen prince and prostitutes and drug addicts. Why tax collector? Because tax collectors, especially in this culture, were despised. And this is Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector, traitor, outcast, unclean, despised person. So Zacchaeus, again, really did epitomize the loss. And if it wasn't bad enough that he was a chief tax collector, we're also told, and he was rich. <laughs> well, you think, why, why is that such a problem? Well, again, turn back to Luke 18. And here we have Jesus' encounter with the rich ruler. And we won't go through the whole passage. Uh, but to suffice to say, this would have been at the front of the disciples' mind. They would have been thinking about the rich young ruler. And in verse 18, the ruler said to Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He seems to be real interested in spiritual things. He wants to become a Christian, we would say in our context. And uh, jumping down to verse 22, Jesus said to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Jesus is saying you have to separate from your money God. You can't serve me and money, so you've got to get rid of your money if you're going to follow me. 23, but when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, looking at him with sadness, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are shocked when they hear this. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. So, Jesus going down the road, disciples with here's Zacchaeus, chief tax collector, and he's rich. And you know what the disciples are thinking? They're trying to picture that camel trying to squeeze through the eye of a needle. And they're thinking, 
Zacchaeus, he's in trouble. What Jesus said is true. Impossible for him to be saved. He is in trouble. Poor guy. Now, what we need to realize this morning is in the Bible, there's only two categories. There's the lost and the found. As we said earlier, the lost are those who really are hiding from God, running to God, and the found are those who are running to God because they love God. That's how you can tell if you're lost or you're found. Do you love to come to church and worship? By the way, this may seem uh, paradoxical, but some people actually go to church to hide from God. The Pharisees are a good example of that. They were very religious because they thought, if I do the religious drill, then God has to leave me alone. Which is why the church can be full of lost people because they're not really running to God. They're just trying to do their duty so that God will leave them alone. So the question I have for you, are you running to God this morning or are you running from God? The Son of Man came because man is lost. Number two, the Son of Man came to seek the lost. Verse three, and Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. That's political correctness for he was a runt. I can say that because I'm kind of physically challenged myself. (laughs) So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, and here you need to realize that every single word is important. First of all, Zacchaeus. He calls him by name. He, He doesn't say, hey, tax collector. Hey, rich guy. Hey, despised outcast. He calls him by name, Zacchaeus. That's what God does when He saves people. He calls him by name. Remember Acts 9? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He calls him by name. Zacchaeus. He calls him by name. And then He says, Hurry. Which is interesting. Jesus is never in a hurry. He isn't. Read through the Gospel. He's never in a hurry. But here He says, Hurry and come down. For I must, not an option, I must stay at your house today. Not tomorrow. Notice, He's almost rude here. He invites Himself over for dinner, basically. I must stay at your house today. Invite me over to your house. Let's go. We're going today. Something very urgent is going on here. Now, I want you to notice that while Zacchaeus seems to be curious, wants to see who Jesus is, it's Jesus who initiates the interaction here. Jesus says Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus doesn't say, Jesus, here I am. Jesus is going after Zacchaeus. John 6.44 reminds us, No one can come to Me, Jesus speaking, Unless the Father who sent me draws him. And in John 6.65, Jesus also says, this is why I told you, no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. 
So you know what this means? If you see people saying, you know, I'm seeking after God, and I've heard that, people say, I'm seeking after God. You know what it means? If they really are seeking after God, they are seeking after God because God is first seeking after them. And I love that because what that's telling us is God is showing us what's going on in the spiritual realm. He's drawing people to them Himself. And we pray that they won't resist, that they will submit themselves to Him. So if people are seeking after God, it's because God has first been seeking after them. So here we have Jesus seeking after Zacchaeus. And again, going back to the Garden of Eden, if God had never sought out Adam and Eve in the Garden, they would have remained in hiding their whole life. And think about you. If God had never come after you, I know some of you who came to Christ later, many of us, we look back at our conversion, we realize, I wasn't seeking God. And, and I think of so many people who describe their conversion. R.C. Sproul is kind of funny. He, he says, I wasn't seeking after God. I was seeking after cigarettes. And he came across this guy who witnessed to him and he, and he became a Christian. He said, I wasn't looking for God. And, and I remember going to church and I didn't go to church because I was looking for God. I went to church because my mother said, let's go to church. And I was just being an obedient son. So I said, okay. But lo and behold, I found God at church. How about that? <laughs> and God spoke to me, clear as, clear as can be. And many people looking back and they think, I, I wasn't seeking after God. I wasn't looking for Him. And then it dawns on them. God was seeking after me. He was calling me by name. And He opened my eyes. That's what was going on. Which again is so exciting. You may, you may be here today because the hound of heaven, He is coming after you. And that's what He does. He goes after people. In Luke 15, we have three parables. Backing up just, just a little bit. Jesus says in Luke 15.3, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he is lost, one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost? What's he doing? He's seeking it out. The sheep's lost, right? We're the sheep. We're lost. So what does the shepherd do? Well, I'm going to sit right here. I'm going to wait till he comes home. So he comes crawling back on his hands and knees asking... Asking me to forgive him. That's not what the shepherd does. The shepherd who represents the Father goes after the lost. And then he tells another parable. The woman who had ten silver coins, she loses one. And what does she do? She seeks diligently until she finds it. She seeks. That's what, that's what God does. And then we have a final parable that has a little bit of a twist. The prodigal son comes back. And of course, the older brother is appalled by this, and the older brother represents the Pharisees. Now, here's the question I have for you. Another great Bible trivia question since we're playing Bible trivia this morning. Why did Jesus tell these three parables? Luke 15.1 Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. They're absolutely appalled that Jesus would eat with sinners and despise wretches in society. So he tells these three parables to say, this is what my mission is all about, to seek them out. 
And of course, in Luke 19, after Jesus calls out to Zacchaeus, we're told that he, he hurried and came down. And in my mind, I, I imagine never has a man come down from a tree so fast as Zacchaeus came down from that tree. I was boom, here I am. Okay, let's go. He came down in a hurry because Jesus told him to come down in a hurry and he receives Jesus gladly. And then in verse 7 it says, And when they saw it, they all rejoiced and said, This is great! He even receives sinners! Not what it says, is it? They all grumbled. He had come to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. How could he do such a thing? Because the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's how he does it. That's why he does it, rather. And that brings us to our, our third point. The Son of Man came to save the lost. The Son of Man came to save the lost. And I take that very literally. He, he didn't come to just offer salvation to people. He actually came to save them. And, and go back to Luke 15 in the parables. Uh, when the sheep is lost, the shepherd goes after the sheep and he seeks and he seeks and he seeks until when? Until he finds it. Which is an illustration of, of salvation. And we know it's an illustration of salvation because Jesus ends that part of the parable by saying, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then in the woman who lost one of her coins, she seeks diligently until she finds it until she recovers it. And again, that represents salvation. So Jesus comes. He's the Son of God. He's searching after His lost sheep and He's seeking and seeking and seeking. And He says, I'm going to seek until I find them and save them. That's why He's come. Trust me, the Good Shepherd is not going to go out looking for the lost sheep and then come back home and the Father say, well, did you find the lost sheep? And Jesus said, I tried. I tried, but I couldn't find them. No. Jesus is going to save him. How about Zacchaeus? Was Zacchaeus saved? He was. Now, you not need to realize that in the Gospels, they can abruptly move from one scene to another. You know, it's not like a player where they have a blackout and then, you know, the backstage crew comes out and they change all the scenery and then lights come back on and you, you know you're, you're in a different place. But the Bible's not like that. It can just move from one to the other and, and, and you have to pay attention. So what's happened is, uh, Jesus has sought out Zacchaeus. And by the way, he sought him out in the street, which I think is very telling. And now he's at Zacchaeus' house. And we know that because verse 9 says that salvation has come to this house. But this is what we read in verse 8 that indicates that Zacchaeus is saved. We know it from what Zacchaeus says and we know it from what Jesus says. Zacchaeus stood, indicates formality, and said to the Lord, Lord, behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, and most likely he had. Remember, he worked for the government. Okay? Not saying everybody who worked for the government, okay, it's corrupt, but most likely he had as a chief tax collector. He said, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. 
For what Zacchaeus had done, Leviticus 6.5 required that the amount taken plus one-fifth be given to the injured party to make complete the restitution. And Zacchaeus says, Lord, I'm going to go above and beyond what the law says. And we see that even though Zacchaeus is a tax collector, even though he's wealthy, his money doesn't have a hold on him, he's going to give half of it away. He's going to make restitution for those that he has cheated. And everybody watching would go, wow, this is a different guy. This is a different... What has got a hold of Zacchaeus? And what happened to Zacchaeus? We have to read between the lines, but it's pretty obvious. Jesus somehow preached the Gospel of the Kingdom, the good news of forgiveness in Him. And He saved Zacchaeus. That's what He did. He saved Zacchaeus. And I say that because that's what Jesus said happened in verse 10. He said, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Basically, Jesus is saying, you see what happened to Zacchaeus? He saved. I did that. That's what He says. I came to seek and to save the lost. And Zacchaeus is exhibit A. That's what I've come to do. And Jesus leaves no doubt in verse 9. He says, Today salvation has come to this house since also this man is the son of Abraham. Probably meaning that because he was considered a traitor to his people that he's restored and now he's a true son of Abraham. Not only because he's a Jew, but because he has embraced Israel's Messiah. Now what makes all this possible? The cross, is it not? Let's go right back to the very beginning. We're going to end the message at the beginning. (laughs) Verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. Isn't that interesting? Luke says Jesus entered Jericho and he says, and he was passing through. Why does Luke add that little detail? Obviously, he's making it very clear Jericho is not Jesus' final destination, which means Luke wants us to keep Jesus' final destination before us as we read through this episode. So then we have to ask. Well, what was his final designation? We don't have to ask, turning back. Excuse me, we don't have to guess, turning back to Luke 18, verse 31. Subheading of my Bible says, Jesus foretells his death a third time. And we read, And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered up to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This thing was hidden from them. They did not grasp what he said. But looking back later, they would understand. So Luke wants us to see Jesus is headed towards the cross. And he has to go to the cross if he's going to seek and to save the lost because it's at the cross where he will atone for their sin, where he will pay the price for their sin by dying in their place. If you're here today and you're a Christian, realize that you're a Christian because God came after you and He saved you. And it's all because of the cross. This is what Christmas is about.
And I would say, if you're here this morning, you haven't embraced Christ. Realize this is your only hope of salvation. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only one who died on the cross for our place to atone for our sins. So I invite you to come to Him today. And for those of us who have come to Him, let's realize that we have come to Him, that we have received Him because He first came to us and sought us out. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice this morning that the Son of Man came from heaven to earth, took upon Himself flesh and blood so that He could seek the lost and save the lost. We thank You for the great salvation that is ours in Him. And Father, how appropriate it is during this holiday season to rejoice and thank You for sending Jesus Christ, Your indescribable gift, to die in our place for our salvation. In His name we pray. Amen.